0: Are we on board? Yes, we are on board. Welcome back, everybody. Now, let me tell you about how God designed your body. You have just taken lots of food in, and your brain is very clever. It's now sending your body's energy to your digestive system to assist with the process. Does that make sense? It's sending less up into the receptors here because it has an issue to do with down here that is a good and godly thing, and God is very clever. But you just need to uh, subvert God a little bit here. (laughs) And and seriously, if you've just eaten, uh, your body will try and fool you and say, let's just conserve a little bit of energy, and it will pull the screensaver down, uh, just for a moment. And you say, I'm not going to sleep, I'm just going to close my eyes and just rest them for a moment. And... (laughs) And as soon as you do that, another part of your brain says, ooh, there's no visual information coming on, I'll just close down another session. So if you'd like to hang in there, I'm gonna make this as worthwhile as is humanly possible. Um, I just thought I'd alert you to some more of the books. Um, And by the way, there are some that uh, are just about run out, but uh, when we have our afternoon tea break, that's your best chance to do it. They will still be there right at the end, but it'll be whatever's left, and I will be packing them up pretty soon afterwards, because of course the Western Sydney Wanderers kick off their season. You're thinking, who are these people? It's uh, five thirty on uh, uh, tonight, and you know I could be back in my motel room and watch the Wanderers play the Central Coast Mariners, and you're thinking, who are these people? What game are they playing? Does anyone know what I'm talking about? <laughs> I do believe that in Melbourne there is um, the uh, the Melbourne Derby, which is Victory versus Heart, which I'm imagining will be a sellout at um, what's that funny field called? Eddie Had, not oh, it's at Eddie hat, is it? Oh, well, it probably won't be sold out. I'm thinking, what's that other funny ground called? Uh, Amy Amy Park, or on the ABC the uh, rectangular field? Yes. Okay, here's some stuff. Oh, get please come in the afternoon tea break, and uh, I would love, seriously, the resources you want, I just brought them all with me, I brought 41 different resources, um, and if that's going to help you, I would I would love to do that, if we're running out, or if you want quantities, like I was at a conference, and the guy said, are they reduced to $5? And I said, yes. He said, what if I want 20 of them? And I said, I'll send you 20 at only $5 and not charge you postage. So, if you want to know the materials we use in discipling our, our students, there is a series that starts with that book, um, which is aimed at junior highs, you know, 11s to 14s, and there's a series that has books that look like that, which is aimed at senior highs, sort of you know year 10 to, or through to young adults. Um, they are the Bible studies that we have developed over the last few decades, Um to help guide your students as to what do they need to be get working in their life so that they can actually be active on Jesus' ministry team. So these are not really designed for general youth group use. Now, I know some people use them in their general youth group, but I'm thinking these are for the students that have said, I want more, I want to be discipled, which is what we're talking about in this session. So have a look at those if they're of some help to you. The other thing that's there is some books written expressly for teenagers. Um, Awesome on the Inside, which is about letting God change you from the inside out. The Cry of My Heart, which is actually an exposition of the Sermon of the Mount, thinly disguised as a great reading book for teenagers. It's all about how to be a genuine disciple, particularly helpful for our kids from Christian families who are not quite sure whether it's their parents' faith or their faith that they're leaning on. Uh, And the most recent one is Totally Transformed, where we look at what it means to be made new in Christ, and then we tackle the five areas that teenagers struggle with the most in living as new people. And you could almost pick the five sections. Sexuality, speech, submission, like as in submission to parents, um, parties and alcohol, and hanging out with non-Christians. So we specifically tackle those five areas and from the Bible show you some strategies for living a new life there. So there's reading books for kids. There's also group Bible studies that can go with each book. And if you're really desperate, there's DVDs of me teaching this stuff to uh, 400 teenagers at our summer camp. So. They are all out there, and uh, if you'd like to save me some excess baggage charges on my way back, uh, just buy the heavy books first. (laughs) Okay, we are looking at getting discipleship started. So we've looked at big picture stuff so far. We looked at the concept of making fruit, and then we looked at the concept of making disciples. Now we're drilling down into the practicals of how you do it. Once again, I don't want to give you a program to copy, but I want to share with you some principles I've learnt about how to make discipleship work. So, we're going to look at the first section I've called Start It Right. First thing you know you have is the right environment. Now, let me give you a few principles here. And by the way, this is observational stuff. This is not scriptural stuff. That means I could be wrong. Does it make sense? So a lot of these things are based on 40 years of observing how it works with youth ministry. So here's what I've observed. Uh, In the right environment, here are some principles. First one, you can't disciple in a large group. I'm not putting that up on the screen for you. You are well able to write that down. You can't disciple in a large group. Like I met a youth pastor. He said, oh, I'm, I'm discipling 40 teenagers. And I said, okay, how are you doing that? He said, we have a weekly Bible class. And I said, well, that's fantastic. I'm glad you have a weekly Bible class. You will achieve a lot of things, but you won't actually disciple people. Um, Discipling is a relationship where you're investing into individuals' lives and holding them accountable. And it's the relationship that matters in it. So um, we have what we call small d-discipling. That's where our large groups gather and that is worth doing. They will learn good things. But if you actually want to produce passionate disciples, faithful disciples who will passionately reproduce themselves into others and that's what I mean when I use the word disciples, you understand the two sides of being a disciple is that you're faithful as a disciple and passionate as a disciple maker. You understand they cannot be separated. I know the Christian church for the last 2,000 years has successfully separated them, but you know biblically they can't be separated. Jesus says, come follow me and I'll put you in a comfortable building where you can sit back and watch the preacher. Come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. That is, come be a disciple and I will make you a disciple maker. The two go hand in hand. So if you think you can do it in a large group, you can do lots of things in a large group, you will not produce faithful disciples who are passionate to reproduce that in somebody else. Second one in the environment, you can't disciple in a general group. Now, I'll tell you what I mean by a general group. When someone says, we have our youth group and there's all sorts of kids there, and towards the end of the night, we divide up into discipleship groups and we disciple them. Now, I'm thinking, nothing wrong with what you're doing, but I don't think it will produce faithful disciples who passionately sow themselves into others because in those groups, you're going to have everybody. You'll have the keen Christians, the not-so-keen Christians, the new Christians, the um, still-interested-in-being-a-Christian. I have no interest at all at being a Christian, but my girlfriend goes here. You've got all those kids together. And if you're running a small group, come on, you're youth leaders. You've got to pitch at the lowest common denominator. Otherwise, your group descends into chaos. Is that right? When you're running a small group, you've got to get the least interested kid interested. Otherwise, they destroy it for everybody else. I always want to argue that if you're going to really raise high schoolers who are growing disciples, you need to meet with them separately from the everybody's you've got to meet with them separately from the everybody's so when someone says oh, we have evangelism in our youth group on Friday nights and then Sunday morning while church is on we have discipleship I'm thinking that is we have a separate youth program uh, I'm thinking that's good but I don't know that will actually produce disciples because you've still got the everybody's there um, by the way I um, that doesn't mean lots of extra work. I'll I'll get to that in just a moment. So, I think if you're going to see young people growing as reproducing disciples, you've got to find out who the keen ones are and invest into them separately just like Jesus did. In that group, you've got to have the right students. Now, at the church I was at before my current one, it was a tough area of Sydney. If you know anything about the Bankstown area, uh, it was a tough. Uh, like the local rugby league team is called the Bulldogs, and look, any sporting group that has a group, a team called the Bulldogs, you know it's feral territory, right? it's just, it just always is. <laughs> Hi to all the Bulldog supporters. Um, Anyway, there was these boys, like middle, high school, and they came to our youth group and, you know, I said, hey, we could form a Bible study group and we could meet at my place and that was cool and my wife would make them cookies and things and they'd come on a Sunday afternoon and, you know, we were struggling a bit but we're getting there. And we get to a point and I said, okay, question four in the book. So, Jeff, could you read out question four? And he said, why should I? And I said, oh, well, it would just help the group, you know, um, You know, read the question out and we'll, we'll learn from it. Don't feel like it. So I said, okay, Jeff, uh, Chris, uh, can you read our question four? Why should I do it? He didn't do it. <laughs> now, are you picking up that these students don't want to be discipled? Does that make sense? I was very keen for them to be discipled, but there was something else attracting them. There's maybe a leader that was just caring for them. They got to be in a group all by themselves. They got my wife's homemade cookies. Um, You've got to have students who are ready to be discipled. Now, if I walked into a hypothetical church and into a hypothetical youth ministry, whatever program they were running, whatever program that was, I'd be throwing the challenge out to say, guys, some of you are ready to go deeper. And I would be praying that God would show me the students who were ready to go into depth. And that God would cause their faces and their names just to sort of bubble up in my thinking that I could start to identify who they were. As well as that, I'd be constantly challenging the students. Like at Crossfire, we do this all the time, to say, look, I know you guys love Crossfire. If you'd like to find out more about being a Christian... And I know some of you do. Come and talk to us. We're starting a Discovering Jesus group and you can go into more depth. I'm praying about it. I'm challenging. But then I'm going to specifically invite the students that I think are ready to say, you know how we're thinking of starting a guys' discipleship group? I'm just just wondering whether you're the right person for it because you might be. I'm noticing X, Y, and Z about you. Every time you speak to me, you're saying A, B, C. Um, I'm wondering if you're ready for that. And to get the right students I want to say don't make it too easy. Like let's make it a little bit difficult for them to get to. Not too hard, but I don't want to say and look I will drive to your door and I will pick you up and I will take you to it and I will feed you and we'll have a hoot of a time and at the end I will drive you home. I understand sometimes you will need to do that, but I don't want to start by making it that easy. We often start our discipleship groups an hour before um, youth group starts, as a preliminary. It's accessible. They're coming up anyway. Could they come an hour earlier? We don't usually offer lifts. Um, Now, I noticed that they've changed it at our church uh, recently, they're now offering as, as an option during group discussion time. That is, don't go to your normal group. We will run a Discovering Jesus course in another building. And part of me is thinking, oh, that's just too easy to go to. Now, I, I don't, we're not going to be out locking people out of the kingdom, but I, I had some guys at the local high school. We'd be doing some ministry. And uh, some of them had uh, made a commitment to Jesus and we're thinking of starting a discipleship group that will help them to grow as faithful disciples and passionate disciple makers. And we tried to find a time slot and nothing was working. They were busy here, here and here. We ended up Wednesday mornings, 7 o'clock in the morning in the party room at McDonald's, which was just down the road from their school. Now at 7 o'clock in the morning... You got to, in winter that's dark. One of the guys they were year ten, uh, went to a state school. One of the guys in the next suburb out, he would start walking at six in the morning and walk for an hour to get to it. Now, if he'd asked me really nicely, I might have picked him up, but I didn't offer it. He was ready he was prepared to make that commitment to get there. And I just want to say, if you want to find the right kids that are ready to grow, they, you need to see some commitment from them that they're willing to put themselves out to make it work. Uh, help students to work out if they're ready. Like if, if, if young, if young uh, uh, Chris here says, hey, I, I want to join that discipleship group you got, I'd say, look, fantastic, that's brilliant. Now, you understand it's a high-level commitment. You understand it's a be there every week. Uh, We don't allow absenteeism. You you understand that. I want to actually let them know that a a lot's going to be expected of them. Make sure you're ready before you say yes. And our way into it is to offer a first step. That is, we say, come to a five-week group and try it. Now, this is five weeks through the gospel. Study one is understanding God. Study two is understanding me. Study three is understanding Jesus. Study four is understanding Jesus' death. Study five is understanding my response. It just goes through the gospel slowly. But if you want to start discipleship, you can start it with um, a transitional point, which is just a short-term commitment to see if the students are ready for it. So if you're going to start discipleship happening, uh, start with the right environment, start with the right students, and, and start with the right program. Um, you don't have to add this on top of everything else you're doing. I don't want you going home thinking, "Oh, there's a whole new, whole new level of youth ministry that we now have to add onto what we're doing. I know in some places they'll meet one-to-one in disciple-making, And biblically, there's nothing wrong with that. Just socially at the moment, it's a tricky one. Uh, And I would avoid it unless it's the only option. Your own church will have guidelines about catching up with students. And while it's quite okay to have conversations with students, my own feeling is the one-to-one with high school is very intense for them. Here is the big, kindly, nice, wonderful adult. um, And they will find it very hard to say no to you on any issue. Whereas if they're in a group and they've got others contributing, I think it's a healthier environment. But you can do it as long as you follow the normal guidelines that your church would give you about catching up one-on-one with high schoolers. The model we run is the weekly home group model. That is, um, we used to have all our small groups on a Sunday afternoon uh, before church. Which in its season worked well, but it just proved problematical. What if you really are a very keen Christian, but that's the one time slot in the week you simply can't make it? Um, We also held it on the church property, and just people just thought it was a youth group, and they would just start showing up, and then we lost our impetus as being disciple making. We run our groups in people's houses at any time of the week that suits them. and we say to our leaders, look, if there's any kids with non-Christian families, try and get it in their houses. Yeah. <laughs> ah, just a little bit of extra evangelism going on there, because the parents will just hear little bits of what you're doing as they go past. Um, and they meet any time of the week that suits them. Although a lot of them do meet just before our youth group or just before church. Um, If you're a Christian high schooler at our church, can I tell you the program commitments we're expecting you to show up at each week? If you're in high school and you're a Christian, we're expecting you, number one, to be at your discipleship team every week for your personal growth as a disciple. We're expecting you to be at church every Sunday for your growth with the whole congregation. And we're expecting you to be at Crossfire on a Friday night where you get to have a ministry to your non-Christian friends. Now, I'm aware that that could be criticised for being too high an expectation on teenagers. Three separate things every week. And I am open to that charge. I don't mind you raising that with me. I just want to say we've been getting away with it for the last 25 years. Like if we didn't fill their life, they'd fill it with something else. They've got to spend a little bit less time on Facebook. Shame of that. Um, But I'm aware I live in a fast-paced society. Like the busiest people in the world I've ever met live in the Hills District of Sydney. It's life in the fast lane. And kids, like from the age of time they're conceived, uh, have their diaries full. Uh, They don't have any time for anything. But of course, there's always time for the things they really want to do. Uh, You don't have to go to that. Let me tell you how my home church, where I became a Christian, did it. We had all these kids showing up at the youth group, which was great. A lot of community kids. It was evangelism. They were difficult to cope with, but we got there. But we had no time to disciple the Christian kids. We made our youth group fortnightly. Now, you've got to be careful about doing that, because you'll knock the steam out of your youth group. Right? It'll, it'll have fewer kids at it. It'll lose a little bit of impetus. It won't be the habit we go every week. It'll be, oh, is it on this week? I uh, can't remember. But in the off week, the week that there was nothing advertised on the program, there were discipleship teams meeting in people's houses. So our leaders had the same commitment they had before, every every Friday night. The Christian students had the same commitment they had before. It's just that every second week was evangelism and on the unadvertised weeks they went to um, discipleship groups i tell you why another church, this was uh, at Warrigal. Uh, what do they call themselves? Community Church, Warrigal? It's a big church, good youth ministry. Glenn Treble was the guy up there. Um, their youth group runs in small discipleship groups. That's basically what it is. But at the beginning and end of each term, they all combine for a big outreach event to bring their friends to come along and invite them to come to Christ. And if you say, well, what do they do with the kids once if they respond to Christ at the big event? they join the small groups that are meeting for the rest of the term. So their whole term is only small groups, and at the beginning and end, they have a combined evangelistic night. All I want to say to you is, it won't just happen automatically. If you want to intentionally raise disciples, once they've said yes to Jesus, you've got to think through how to get it done. So that's sort of starting it right. Second one is, to get the vision right. Um... Students who are ready to be discipled, and I think I've already talked about that. Um, Keeping parents informed. You understand that teenagers live in families? There might be a mum or a dad or two mums or three dads or something in there somewhere. Um, Especially if they're non-church, they will raise question marks about what's this extra thing that you're doing with my young person? So I always want to say, get to know the parents, say hi to them, Um, ask them if it's okay that you call their kid or whatever it happens to be. Keep them informed electronically, send notes home, post them stuff. Um, You need to have the parents on your side to make it happen. Uh, The first thing, the first time you get together, um, it needs to work from the forward go. Like, if i got a bunch of guys meeting together, and by the way, I keep saying guys because we would, we have guy discipleship groups and girl discipleship groups, and guess what? Guy discipleship groups are led by guys and girl discipleship groups are led by girls. There's nothing in the Bible that says you can't have a multisexual group, um, but you will need, of course, a male and a female leader, and... Um, our mathematics prevents us from doing that because you can reach fewer kids that way. But guys and girls just learn differently from each other. Seriously, Year 9 boys and Year 9 girls are on different planets. The girls are lovely, maturing, responsible, articulate young ladies. Yeah, and the guys are doing fart jokes. You know. Um, it's... If you have... If you have a co-ed discipling group, I want to say they will never talk seriously about temptation issues. They will just all clam up. When you just got guys with guys and girls with girls, you can talk about the real issues that are going on. But I want to get them ready for the first meeting. Like if I've got a bunch of year nine boys, if I've got five year nine boys and we're starting a group, I will have voice contact on the phone for a few days leading up making sure they're ready. I want them all there for the first meeting. I don't want to get to the first meeting and find that three didn't make it. And so I want to get them ready. Um, Choose a location where um, you're not going to be interrupted all the time. And now this is not in the Bible, but I know it's true. Um, Disciples who are discipled in homes are stronger disciples than disciples that are discipled at the side of a church hall. I have no idea why that works, but seriously, you can almost track our kids, those that meet in a group of chairs in a church hall somewhere, just never get to the depths that those who meet in someone's lounge room do. I, I never quite figured it out. I just observe that's the way it happens. So you make the first meeting work. Um, And when you get kids together, set the vision. Like, Don't start with, okay, well, we're here to study the Bible and pray. So everybody open up at Habakkuk chapter 1. They've got to have a vision. By the way, I'm preaching on Habakkuk uh, next week at our church. Uh, You've got to have a vision for why we're doing this. I would get the kids to set the vision. i give them a bit of cardboard and get them to draw, you know, a quad, four quadrants. Four quadrants, is that? that's tautologous, isn't it? Get them to draw quadrants on there. Four if you must. Um, and just get them to say, okay, uh, make up the questions. The reason I came here today is, let's get them to write something down. Number two, here's what I really hope happens to our group. Number three, here's what I worry might happen. Look, make the questions up, but talk about the vision. We're going we're gonna to change the world. We're meeting together to equip each other to stand for Christ to change the world. And nothing less is going to satisfy us. That's what we're on about. And I'm going to support you all the way and also uh, expect things from you the whole way. Set the vision right at the beginning, and I would say set the values. The group has to agree on some of the values. Now, can I just suggest to you some of the things that we've come up with over the years? Number one would be, uh, this group is going to be top priority. Top priority means you work like anything to clear the decks so that you're here week in, week out. Now, that's not the only thing in their life they might have to have as top priority, um, but at least have a commitment that's as good as the local junior football coach has. Like, seriously, try, try being on the local under-14s football team and just not showing up for training and, and see what happens. You've got to at least have your standards set as high as the local football coach does. That is, it will be unusual if someone is absent. We know that things will happen, but by and large, we're going to work like crazy to make this a priority time of the week. Crossfire is, you know, come when you want, youth group, we want you there, but hey, we understand you can't always make it. But this is just us. And if we have a group of six people and two are away, do you see it really is going to affect the rest of the group? We have a guideline of no unexplained absences. We never want to be sitting around and someone says, Where's Fred? And we say, We don't know. Is he sick? Is he dead? Has he given up following Jesus and is he now sacrificing live chickens to Satan at midnight? We don't know. We never want to be in that situation. I always want to be able to say, Yes, Fred called me. There's a family function on and he can't make it today. No unexplained absences. And if you're thinking, that sounds a bit tough, hey, the local junior sporting coach has that standard. You can't just miss training and expect to play in the game on Saturday. Things like we work as a team. We're here for each other. We're not here to show off. We're not here to dominate. We're here to genuinely help each other. I want the kids to get to a point where they take a bullet for each other. Um, and I, I would say that is true, actually, in most of our discipleship groups. Um, we respect each other. It's, it's a simple, basic value, but you've got to sow it in. Like if somebody, if a kid is answering a question and some other kid butts in on top, just to say, look, just hang on for a moment. What Fred is saying here is important. I want to hear it. you just got to teach them that that matters. Um, that would mean they would respect you, that when you're talking, they're not about to jump all over you and ignore you. I would say we're going to maintain confidentiality and we've got to agree on that. It doesn't mean it's a secret group. Please tell people you're in the group. Please tell people what we're doing. And you are free to report to anybody else um, what you said in the group, but you can't report what other people said unless you've checked with them. Um, And that would work. Once you've established that, you can go to the next one is that we want people to be honest. This is not a place to pretend. If something's not working in your life, this is a safe place to talk about it. You're with people who love you, respect you, and will um, be honest with you. Here's another one, and this has been a turning point for us. We hold each other accountable. Now, that word accountable has changed our disciple-making. We used to have groups that studied the Bible, and they would have Bible studies about discipleship, but we didn't actually train disciples. Can you pick the difference? Bible studies about discipleship, would learn about Bible reading, we'd learn about prayer, we'd learn about generosity, but we didn't actually train people to be faithful disciples and passionate disciple makers. The word accountable simply means we agree to hold each other accountable to do what we're learning. And you can get agreement on that from people. That will mean, let's imagine um, you're doing a Bible study about um, generosity. You come up with a plan and you'll ask everybody to write down what their giving plan will be. That at church... I'm going to give this much in the offertory plate to the, the missionary work, I'm, you know, whatever it is. It can be simple. Accountability means that the next week you say, can we talk about how we went with our plan? My plan was I was going to increase my giving at church from $100 to $120, and uh, I want to say one week down and I managed to do it. Um, you know, whatever it happens to be. We had a, a bunch of guys. Uh, we've been together since year seven. We got to year 10. And uh, we're learning about uh, the importance of daily Bible reading. It's not the first time we'd broached the subject, but we'd gone back to it. Um, And we each wrote down a plan of what we're going to do for the next seven days. I just said, let's just write down which days are you going to intentionally spend time with God. Don't put all seven, if you're planning for two, just write two. And what part of the day, what are you going to look at? You know, that sort of stuff. So the next week, accountability means we don't just go on to the next topic. We say, can we check how we went? And then you start off and you share how you went. And we're going around, we get to Chris. And I said, so you plan to uh, get to the Bible, say, three times this week and to spend some time with Jesus. How did you go? He said, oh, I didn't really get to it. I said, okay, look, we, we all have weeks like that, so... Um, Let's just check, say in the last last month, how many times would you have spent time with God? And he said, well, you know, not many really, which by the way, that's code for nothing. Um, I said, so since, it was about June, I said, since the beginning of the year, uh, how many times would you have opened your Bible to say, I'm going to hang out with God? He said, oh, you know, not many really. I said, okay. Since the beginning of Year Seven, which is four years ago, just the answer was like zero. So I said, okay, that that must be awful for you. (laughs) Boy, you must really be struggling with that one. So when you get home from school, how does it, you know, what do do you do? He said, I get home, hang out, watch some TV, snacks, refreshment, chill out for a little while family comes home, dinner about 6.30, we eat together as a family, then I go to my room to do my homework. I said, okay, what do you really do when you go to your room? He said, well, you know, I put on Facebook and everything. I said, okay. What about if when you go to your room, instead of putting Facebook on straight away, just before you find out what all your friends are saying, why don't you check out what God wants to say to you that day? Um, there's an online place you can do that. Here are some notes. Like 15 minutes, the first 15 minutes. And then you can pretend to do your homework by going on to Facebook with everybody else. He said, I I said, is that workable? Like, could you do that? He said, yeah. I said, "The, the rest of the group, you guys get on Facebook about that time? Oh, yeah. Okay. If you notice that Chris is online, can you send him a message and ask this question, how did your time with God go? And if he says something like, oops, haven't got to it yet, can you say to him, please go offline and then come back in 20 minutes and tell us how it went? Could you guys do that? And they said, yes, we will. Does it make sense? This accountability, you didn't have to involve me the whole time, but they actually worked out a way. So that's, um, we will hold each other accountable. The other thing we have is membership by invitation only. Now, just before you think we're running some sort of exclusive secret club, um, that means the guys are not free to simply drag along anybody they feel like on any given week. It can be disruptive if everyone brings friends all the time and you're trying to get to high-level discipling. We say, look, if it's a friend of yours you think would be ready to join the group, can we talk about it and can I approach them? so that we're just careful about, we want to stay together as a group and not have it change the whole time. So that's, that's a possibility. And I always want to let them know that the reason we're doing this is that so that other people will be blessed. We're not doing this to make us big, strong and wonderful. We're actually doing it so that the rest of the world will find out about Jesus. So that's sort of setting the values. And as we're working with um, teenagers, let's set some standards here. Um, you've got to work out what behaviour is acceptable and what isn't. And the kids have to agree to it. So, you know, I said divide it into quadrants. Usually, um, my third question would be, uh, here's something that would really distract us from achieving these goals. And they'll write down things like, you know, people misbehaving, people interrupting, people not, you know, doing their homework, you know, whatever it is. And the fourth one will be, um, if, if I am disrupting this group, here's what I think should happen. Ask the kids. They'll be really harsh. Like they'll come up with, you know, you know get some whips and spurs and, you know, punishment. Uh, sorry, I work with boys. I have no idea what girls come up with. They say, oh, you know, girls probably say don't let them in on the next nail painting exercise. I don't know what they'll do. But. They're awfully harsh. But we came up with an agreement like if someone was really disrupting and they didn't respond to a normal "Hey, Fred, need you on board," that would simply ask them to take time out for five minutes. Just go and sit in the next room or we'll sit outside the door. Calm down, get ready, and when they're ready, come back in, or something like that. Um, we do we do memory verses. Now, okay. Just put your hand up. Who actually he was using memory verses in their discipleship of others or yourself at the moment? Okay. There's a a couple of very nervous hands down the back. Um, By the way, that fits in with everywhere else I'm going. It's it's been dispensed with. Um, I'll come back to that a bit later. I want to say we've got kids in our youth group, some of whom their leaders use memory verses as part of their discipling, and some of whom don't. In fact, A few who do and most who don't. There is an observable difference in the kids who have had memory verses. They have one more weapon in their arsenal that the others don't have. And I just want to say I want to stick with it. So we have memory verses and we had to work out what do we do if someone hasn't memorised the verse? Because they'll be given the task of to memorise the verse for next week and when we get there we all go around the circle and we all say it individually. You're all thinking, I hope I'm never discipled in his groups. But seriously, they love it. Um, And what we agreed was that if someone hasn't memorized the verse, they will need to sit outside and learn it. And once they've learned it, they can come in and tell us what the verse is. (laughs) Whatever the standards are, you've simply got to outline what it is so that the high schoolers know when they've crossed the line and can I just say you've got to be pastoral in the way you do this you're not there to run your little regime you're there to love people and put your arms around them but you do understand that teenagers will push you to the limit on what they can get away with they don't just need someone who's a big sheep they need a shepherd so you've actually got to work that out so that's just getting the vision right and the last thing I wanted to do there is get the relationships right Now, that is, the key in all this is your relationship with the kids you are discipling. That is paramount because they're not learning from, well, it's not just information. If the kids just wanted information, they could Google it. They don't need you to give them the information. Heavens, we've reached the stage where, They've got innumerable podcasts from the greatest preachers of the 21st century available at their fingertips. I was preaching through the Sermon on the Mount. It's it's on the DVDs out there. Uh, And I'm preaching my heart out to our kids. And I get down and James, who's 14, comes up and says, you know how we're doing Sermon on the Mount? I said, yep. He said, so in preparation, I download um, John Piper's podcast before each week to listen to what he's got to say. I said, okay. He said, now, in the section you just preached on, you didn't make the following points that John Piper does. Why not? I thought, flippin' hell, I thought I was just competing with the the youth pastor down the road. Um, It's not just information thereafter. It's a relationship with you. Remember, you teach what you know, but you reproduce what you are. You're going to transfer to them what is in your heart. So you better make sure you've got a heart that is worth reproducing. But the passion you have for Christ, the passion you have for his word, the passion you have for the gospel, the passion you have for the hurting of the world, the passion you have for those who lie outside of Christ, that passion will be picked up in your relationship with your students. It's a coaching relationship. Now, now can I be bold enough to suggest to you, that's the way you learn everything. Like I've noticed you're all very good at the English language. I, I just want to commend you on that. Um, now, if you've recently arrived from another country, disqualify yourself for the next one. Uh, but how did you learn the English language so well? Come on, you, you are quite articulate, you, you Melbourne people. Where did you what language school did you go to to learn the English language? For most of you, you didn't you just picked it up at home. Mum and dad spoke English. It's it's coaching. You, you, you've learnt that that yummy frozen delight is called ice cream, and so eventually, because everyone else calls it ice cream, you work out if you say ice cream, there's a higher chance that you'll get that. <laughs> it's a coaching relationship. How does anyone learn to be a great violinist? Somebody shows them how to do it and coaches them through it. Now, We Western education people have have turned education into information transfer, but it's it's still coaching. Like, is anyone studying to be a neurosurgeon here? Just, Just checking. How does a great neurosurgeon learn to be a neurosurgeon? Yes, there's information, but I'm assuming at some point in a teaching hospital, realistically they should be called learning hospitals, but that would spook the patients, wouldn't it? In a teaching hospital, when you're lying there with your brain about to be cut open, this trainee has got a scalpel, and the master neurosurgeon is saying, "No, no, one millimeter to the left. If you slice there, they'll be a vegetable for life." Right? One millimeter. To, fortunately, you're on anaesthesia, and you don't know if this is happening. Okay, down like that. Yes, that's it. Keep going a little further. Yes, stop. Sorry, I've never been trained as a doctor. That's how you learn to slice someone's brain open. It's a coaching relationship. Does that make sense? How'd you learn to drive? How'd you learn to. (laughs) Some of you stole cars, I know, and just (laughs) hooned out around, you know, foot is (laughs) grey. It's the relationship that will produce the life change. It's your relationship with each student. It's reproducing relationship. Where are we up to? Hang on. It's a reproducing relationship. It's a Bible teaching relationship. Like you're not just saying, I'm a good guy, copy me. What you're saying is, God's word is working in my life. Let's grow together. Psalm 1. By the way, Psalm 1 was one of our memory verses. I haven't looked at this for years. Oh dear, I'm going to get this wrong. Soaking in God's word psalm, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, whose leaf will not wither, whatever he does prospers. Not so the wicked, they are like chaff which the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Someone, Okay, kids in year 9 learn that. But did you get verses 2 and 3? His delight is in the law of the Lord... And on his law, he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. That's what you want for these students, that they will be planted by the streams of water of God's word, that they will be soaking in it and produce great fruit as a result. Does that mean that you have to be the world's greatest Bible teacher? No, but in everything you do, you're going to teach the Bible. We had a guy on our team. He was like my administrative assistant. If we looked at his top spiritual gifts, number one was administration and number two was helps. Every church needs a guy like this. And he did the databases. He did all that sort of stuff for me and he made lots of ministry happen. He came to me after some time and said, there's some boys in year seven who I think need to grow as disciples, I would like to take them on. And I'm thinking, oh dear, I don't know if he's the right person. Um, And I said, so, your spiritual gifts again? He said, administration and helps. I said, where do gifts like mm, Bible teaching and shepherding? He said, oh, down the bottom. And I said, okay. Um, And I was also worried about his personality. He had like a really flat personality. Um, I'm just trying to think of, like he's a great guy, but just, how do I put this politely? Just Okay, he's a nerd, right? He's just a, you know, super geek. Um, And I'm thinking, oh, I don't know if kids will, you know, I'm I'm thinking all this, and how's he going to teach the Bible? But I asked the question, did he have a heart that was worth reproducing? The answer was yes. So I said, you might need a little bit of help with this, but we've got the booklets and they will help you teach. So he starts with his Year 7 boys. Number one, he attracts the, the nerdy Year 7 boys. Seriously, they warm to him because suddenly there was a leader just like them. So all these real... Uh, <laughs> be neither. All these nerdy guys in Year 7 are in his group using his spiritual gift of administration and helps. He was the best organized of any of our groups. (laughs) Notes always went home to the parents. Everything was meticulously organized. The guys had absolute confidence. And because the guy teaching it, even though his Bible teaching was like down there somewhere, he could follow the studies, he could do the research. He probably worked twice as hard on the Bible teaching as anybody else had to. And he invested his servant heart into them and six years later they were in year 12 and graduating out of year 12. His entire team became worked, went on to the servant squad, that is our technical behind-the-scenes team at our youth group. Because he had taught them how to be servants because that was his gift and that was his strength and at the end of it six new guys joined our behind the scenes technical operational team that made the youth ministry go week in week out he wasn't primarily a bible teacher but you understand he still had to invest god's word into these guys so it's a bible teaching relationship and it's a whole of life it's a whole of life relationship like seriously you're not going to do this in one school term We try to have our um, discipleship leaders stay with their kids from, we start our youth ministry at grade six, you can ask me about that later, all the way through to year 12, that's a seven year time uh, span. Year six is the last year of primary school for us. And we try to keep the same leader leader with the same students because it's a whole of life long term thing. It's not a classroom learning. It's more like an apprentice. They watch how you behave and they copy it and exaggerate it. Okay, Copy and exaggerate. Teenagers, two specialties. That means they need to see you in everyday situations. If you want to teach... Kids will learn more about... Um, being godly in their boy-girl relationships by observing how you are godly in your boy-girl relationship or your husband-wife relationship. They will observe what you're like and they will copy it. Um, They will learn far more about submission to their parents by watching how you treat your parents than by any of your beautiful Bible studies you put together. If you want them to know how to deal with anger, they should be in your car when you're stuck in traffic. Or they should come and watch you play on the sporting field. (laughs) And then they will learn how a Christian deals with those sorts of issues. Like, if you, if the only time you ever see them is when you're the youth leader at the front or you're leading the group, that's the only interaction you have with them. I don't think you're going to make disciples. Um, I'm on Facebook. Why am I on Facebook? Well, number one was to to stalk my two adult children so I knew what they were doing. Um, (laughs) The main reason I got on was to find out what my adult children were up to. I discovered every kid in our youth group is on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and all those horrible ones like Snapchat and all that sort of stuff. Um, That gives chance for interaction. Here I am in Melbourne... And last night I was interacting with kids in our youth group who are putting stuff up, some of which is helpful and glorifying to God and some of which is, oh my goodness, what are they doing? Um, But I'm interacting with them as a friend. Um, I know we're living in an age which is very suspicious and we need to be careful in how we do things, but let me tell you our expectations of our D-team coaches The experts reckon that for a a relationship to uh, register as genuine with a teenager, they need three contacts with a person every week. And if you're thinking, three contacts, it's really easy for our D-team coaches. They see them in their D-team, they see them at Crossfire, and they catch up with them at church. Even if it's a 30-second after church, hey, great to see you there. How do things go with that issue with your parents we're talking about? Even if it's that's it, that's three times. And if they're missing, a text message, a Facebook post, uh, even a phone call um, is a possibility. We're actually expecting every leader has three contacts with every kid in their discipleship group every week. Secondly, we're expecting that every leader is catching up one-on-one with one kid every week. Now, your church will have guidelines as to how to do this, but things like a milkshake in a public place, things like chatting with them at the side of the church hall you know, when coffee's on, there's a whole lot of ways to do it that are above reproach. But if that kid's not getting some personal time with you, I don't think their discipleship's going to be very strong. I want to be able to say to a kid, hey, listen, I love having you in the group, and when everyone's there, it's cool, but... You're not just part of the group, you're an individual. So can I check with you how you're going? Like, What's going on in your life? What can I pray about for you? Um, It's a whole-of-life, long-term relationship. I'm still small-d discipling some kids from like 20 years ago when I go up to Rowan's church on Monday. I'm there to train his staff. I'm going to train their small group leaders. We're going to see how Rowan's going Because he's one of our kids, Um, and I just want to link in with him. Um, It's a committed and intentional relationship. I'll tell you what I mean by this. Some of our young leaders who are discipling our high schoolers, they are seriously more like big sheep than like shepherds. They're just having a lot of fun with the kids and doing all sorts of cool things, and they're everybody's friend, but I don't know they're actually leading them forward. It's not just you hanging out with kids, having a hoot of a time. It's a committed relationship and it's intentional. You are their coach and you're going to lead them forward. It is also a two-way relationship. If you go in as the super guru, thinking that they are the little humbling disciple and you are the guru Yoda, um, It never works that way. I learnt this from Dale Dale Carnegie. Now, I don't know that he was a Christian. This is How to Win Friends and Influence People. I recommend it. It's written in the 1930s. You'll love it. Um, He simply says, you've got to have the attitude of, I can learn something from every human being on the planet. There is not one person I cannot learn something from. The drunk in the gutter who offers you their bottle in a paper bag as you walk past, if you can't learn something from that person, then I don't think you understand what it means to be a learner. Um, those students, they're going to teach you things. They will show up your faults. They will put you in situations you don't know how to react. And if you're just defensive, then they will learn to be defensive about everything. But if you learn to say, do you think I said the wrong thing then? Do you think I should have done something differently? To learn to apologize and to learn to confess and to learn to show them repentance will be one of the greatest lessons you can give them. And I think that's the last one. It's an accountable relationship. As brothers and sisters, we agree to hold each other accountable. Now, I realize I have raced through a whole lot of stuff. Uh, By the way, that's two or three chapters from disciples who will last, summarized grossly for you. But however you do this, you don't have to start a brand new program with 60 students in next week. You can start with one group. Like if you've never done something like this, it might just be one group one senior high guys group, one junior high girls group, and you simply start investing into the kids who are going to be used by Christ to make a difference in the world. Why do I say that matters so much? This sounds overly pious, but that's what Jesus did. He discipled his leadership team who were his discipleship team and invested himself and God's word into them so that they would have a ministry that changed the world. Wouldn't it be brilliant if years in the future you're telling me stories about your kids who are now doing major ministries around the world? Our kids are doing stuff that we never told them to do. Like Rowan, being senior pastor of Discovery Church, we never told him to do that. But he's now in his young 40s. So wind the clock back 25 years. He's a high schooler in our, in our group. we got a guy who was in my discipleship group. His name's Joshua. He and his wife and young child went to India. Now, I've forgotten the city they went to. It's the holy city. It's the one that every spiritual pilgrim goes to. It's on the side of the Ganges somewhere. And they've set up a Christian ashram so that people who come to that city seeking spiritual fulfillment will discover Jesus. And last I checked, they were planning to stay there for the rest of their life. Nobody told them to do that. That's just how God has taken them. We've got a guy, one of our oh, great disciples, he'd be young, He's was 21, something like that. He told me he was moving to Northern Ireland. And I said, hang on, you're talking about a girl you met from Northern Ireland. <laughs> he said, yep, I'm going to move to Northern Ireland. I said, are you going there to make, clear up questions and make plans to make this young Christian lady your wife? And he said, yep, that's the plan. I said, okay, off you go. Um, look, I don't, want to wreck, I don't want to wreck a great love story, but they broke up. But he managed to get himself a job as a youth pastor in Scotland. He's in Dundee in a church as a youth pastor. We didn't tell him to do that, but he's just naturally done that. We've got one of our kids who's a youth pastor in the United States. I mean, it's seriously, We've uh, here in Melbourne, Rowan's up there. Gary McClellan's down at uh, GWAP, Glen Waverley Anglican Church Associate Minister. He's one of our kids. Shane Rogerson's one of our kids. What's he now? The Vicar of Pran. Pran. How do you say that? That, that, that suburb. Um, I'm longing to meet you in years to come and I want you to tell me the stories of how those little snotty faced kids that you invested into and trained as world changing disciples that now under God's power are buying you, being used by him to change the destiny of nations because that's the only thing that Jesus expects you to achieve can I pray for you? and then I think it's smoko time I mean, uh, sorry um, <laughs> Afternoon tea. That's what we're having. And you're almost your last chance for books. Let's pray. Oh, Father God, thank you so much. That even in our tiredness we can still learn stacks of things about you. Oh, Father God, please give us hearts that are worth imitating. Please sow into our lives in a way that will change students, in a way that will change nations. Father, give us hearts as faithful disciples. Give us hearts as passionate disciple-makers so that in fellowship with you, together we get to change the world. Amen. Thank you, guys.